Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello there, and it's good to be back. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And today I'm bringing you a guest that I'm excited to share with you. We have spoken with this gentleman's wife, Brittany, and today we will be talking to Daryl himself. I look forward to a really informative and useful time with Daryl. In that vein, I would like to give you a little bit of information about Daryl before we bring him to the stage. Daryl Stinson believes the vulnerable conversations and stories are two of the most effective tools to grow oneself and seed greatness into the world. With a background in communication, marketing, and creative writing, Daryl, a former Division I athlete, survived multiple suicide attempts to become a best-selling author, two-time TEDx speaker, philanthropist, and public speaking coach. He's the founder of Second Chance Athletes, that's 501 for those of you in the States. He is known for his dynamic, heart-touching, thought-provoking presentations. Daryl is most deeply grateful to lead and enjoy his family. But I can tell you firsthand, he is a powerful public speaker. Without further ado, let's bring Daryl. Hi. Hey. Good to have you with me. Excited to be here. Excellent. I mentioned your lovely wife. <laughs> because I had the pleasure of speaking with her just a few weeks back, and I found that very enjoyable. Before we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today, I just want to mention a little ditty that you put together with your kids. I want to make sure I've got it on Brittany's page as well, but I wanted to have it on your page. It's called We All Need Hope, and it features Daryl Stinson, Ava, and Mr. Cool, Life Living. Mm -hmm. I just have to tell you, Daryl, the reason I want to put it on this page, too, this is such a catchy tune. I'm finding myself humming in the background <laughs> often, and it's like, oh, wow. Aww. It's so touching. I absolutely loved it, and I didn't want to get involved in our talk today and accidentally pass it by. Mm. So that said, you can all find it on this page and on Brittany's page because I think you're going to find both talks incredibly valuable. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I love that, man. That song was something that I was getting interviewed a lot on podcast and people were like, 
what would you tell your former, the former version of yourself? What would you tell yourself if you, when you were younger and getting teased and bullied and those things to deal with your depression and all that? And I was getting it in several different formats on different podcasts. It was all the same question, former self question. And I was like, man, the truth is that the old version of myself was probably not really listening. But one of the things I felt was that I was alone in my struggle. And no matter how many you know times we hear, like, you're not alone, I felt that way in my own life. That's part of what the illness does or the thought cycle and the narrative of depression. And you know what? I was like, man, I would tell people that feel that way that we all need hope. At no matter what stage you're at, like there's, you're going to hit obstacles, you're going to hit trials, you're going to hit challenges that cause you to question if there really is hope in this outcome, reaching this goal, making it through the season in your life. And that was the birthplace of the song. And to have my daughter, the other thing I was like, man, people her age would listen to her before me. And so to have her be on the chorus and then to even say some words at the end was all part of it. So it was an amazing experience. And my wife gifted us the studio time on my birthday. Um, so to record a song with my daughter who was five at the time, uh, was just something that I'll cherish forever. Yeah. And it's one thing to do a song with your daughter and yes, you will always cherish it, but it's so catchy. And I think it's so bang on for this entire genre of suicide, ideation, mental health, all of those things. And putting together this song, you can reach young people a lot easier. Mm. You know, I think this is something that will get through to kids where us talking to them or sharing an experience just would not. But music is the one thing that kind of unites everybody. You can't help but be moved by the vibration of music. So that's just my two cents on, I think it's amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So let's get into the meat of why we're here. We did speak with your wife a few weeks back on what it's like to be married to someone and live with someone with depression who has had past suicide attempts. Now we're gonna get the other side of the story, if you will, from you. Where did this start for you? And it's very obvious you have come through the other side and I'm very grateful for that. But let's talk about where it came from and we'll take it from there. Um, man, so I think it started as a child being made fun of. I tell the story in my TEDx talk that I was coming, I'm from Jackson, Michigan, and I was in accelerated learning classes growing up. And I, I think about in the third or fourth grade, it made me one of two black students in an all white class. And that my classmates loved me, but I learned one day when I was coming back from a bathroom break and saw a group of black students making jokes together that I was known as this black kid that talked and acted white in our school. And so it it was a shocker at that age to be like, man, I thought I was just like cool and popular, but really people are making fun of me and I'm a joke. Is there something wrong with the way that I speak? Is there something wrong with the way that I talk? 
at the same time, I had, I was a very emotional type of person. And at home, my mother didn't like that I was like an emotional dude because she knew that would not make me tough. Right. And I was from the streets. And so she didn't want me to get bullied and picked on. And then my father wasn't actively in my life the first couple of years. And she felt responsible for being both mother and father to me. And so she would often smack me in the mouth and tell me to stop crying. And anytime I try to express my emotions, send me to the room. And so she was teaching me and, and raising me to suppress my emotions. And because I wasn't allowed to express it in my family and because I was being teased in school, it caused me to really question if my worth and my value, do I belong here? Nobody really likes me. I can't, nobody cares about my feelings. And so I started to have these thoughts about suicidal ideations, even at a young age. Fast forward, I masked it all behind the successful facade of an athlete, became a top 100 athlete because athleticism runs in my family and um, I had a lot of hard work and dedication and I w wanted to get out of poverty. But in a large part, I noticed that people would respect me and invite me to hang out with them the better I got at sports. It was the thing that caused people to pay attention to me. And I really, it was really my source of identity, the way that I gained love and acceptance from other people in the world. And I noticed that it's like that for a lot of people. It may not be sports for them, but maybe they get love and acceptance through generating a certain amount of wealth or love and acceptance through having a certain persona, whether like they're a party animal as a whole persona that people get love and acceptance from. And the challenge with building your identity from something that's outside of yourself or something that is not authentically who you are is that you internally continue to breed resentment within yourself. And that's what happened to me. I always say like the more that they accepted this false version of me, the more rejected the actual me felt on the inside the entire time. So yeah, I'll pause and let you jump in. Yeah, it's sad because that is how we react. And yet, I don't want to go on without saying to you, that athletic you is a part of you. He was a part of you. He was one of your talents. Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that you weren't authentic. It's that you were pigeonholed into one facet of you. And, yeah, And that's something so many of us do to, you, what is it? Go along to get along? Go along to get along. Yeah. And, and the other thing I wanted to say was your mom, back in the day, men were expected to be a certain way. Yeah. And her only way of trying to toughen you up, she loved you because she didn't want you to be hurt. Mm -hmm. and it's hard because the ways we know are not always the best ways but they're all we have at the time and we always want better for our children yep 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah that's the mom in me just i get it oh you're right your mom yeah 100 yeah yeah so as an athlete even though i understand that that inner core of the seed of resentment and the constantly questioning yourself because you can't let people see the other bits of you or you yeah. feel you can't. And it was true for the longest time. We're coming into a slightly, I say slightly different time because we're only beginning to accept 
that that a, a man can be gentle and considerate and have feelings and still be very much a man. Yep, a hundred. So let's get a little farther forward, and you're going through your athletic career, and it, it had to be hard with that dichotomy inside. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, it was hard, but I wasn't aware of it because I was so suppressed. And so f I wanted to make it so bad because I felt like once I became the number one athlete in the world that I'd have complete love, complete acceptance, complete respect, et cetera, et cetera. So I ended up going to Central Michigan University on a full ride scholarship to play football. And I'll never forget a coach looking at me and a guy by the name of Antonio Brown saying it's not a matter of if you're going to go to the NFL, it's only a matter of when, saying that I could leave early as a true freshman to play in the league. And I was like, whoa, man. And um, long story short, ended up getting hurt, had emergency back surgery because my left leg was going to go paralyzed from pinched nerve. Should have ended my career. But again, sports was the way I gained loved and acceptance. My identity was tied up in it. It was not what I did. It was who I was. And whenever your identity is attached to something outside of yourself, you will always do what has that thing's best interest in mind, not necessarily yours. And I knew that me playing hurt was better than the next person fully healthy. And so I begged the coaches, let me back on the team. They did. I signed a liability waiver. And I essentially put my body through two years of drug addiction, physical therapy, acupuncture, nerve killings, lying to the doctors, getting illegal procedures done to my back, all to numb my physical pain to play this game of, of sports. And I was paying for all of this stuff out of pocket because my family wasn't couldn't afford these this amount of doctors' visitations. A lot of the stuff I was doing was illegal, so I had to pay for it out of pocket. And so I started to sell drugs all throughout the state of Michigan. And actually got involved in an international drug operation to be able to cover the cost of my healthcare expenses. So now, not only do I have a double entendre going on where I'm being a false persona of myself, I also have a double life going on where I'm like this external athlete, but I'm also selling drugs on the side and like being this shady person in the back. And so all of that internal resistance, what it turned into was I went from using the opioids from numbing my physical pain to using them to numb my emotional pain. emotional pain. And that just bred more and more because you get high and then it's not enough to suppress the thoughts and you get higher and higher. And my life was like that for two years until finally I could barely stand up straight because of how much damage I did to my back in sports. I was taking so many opioids. It was thinning my blood. So every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed. Coaches kicked me off the team and that's when I had to face myself. Couldn't hide behind this facade as an athlete anymore. It was just me and me. And to make matters worse, I had a girlfriend who I was dating for four and a half years. The only person who I opened up to about my depression, she left me and got engaged to another man. And oh. so it just was everything at once. And I imploded. And that's when the serious attempts at suicide began. And ultimately, I ended up in a psychiatric care facility. And it was there that my life changed forever. Yes. We're very glad that he did, mm -hmm. but it, I believe what I heard was you really had a transformational moment in that psychiatric ward. 
I think Brittany said you you made the decision to turn your life around and to go forward in what I call you, you made the choice to choose life. I did. I did. And life chose me. I had uh, the being there helped me. I, I tell people that I did my first journal entry. I had two people come and talk to me about faith and I found faith in what I believe to be Christ. I uh, saw my first counselor, did my first mindfulness exercise. In fact, do I, I just had it on because I did an event this weekend. Is it still on my desk? Uh, no, it's not still on my desk. Oh, I was going to okay. show you. I have, I have the folder. That they, I still have the folder that they gave me in the psychiatric care facility. It's somewhere around here. We had a cleaner come. So I think she like cleaned it up and put it where it's supposed to go. <laughs> it was just sitting at my desk. But I still have the, the purple folder from Henry Ford Health System that I, I had, my assignment was to just color and only focus on the coloring of the picture when I did some journaling too. And so I started to see that, man, through these processes of talking about my feelings to a counselor, of working on mindfulness exercises, of journaling, that man, I could access these same feelings of fulfillment, excitement, joy that I experienced from sports without having the external thing of sports. Yes. And that was new for me. I said, oh man, I can build my life from the inside out, not just the outside in. And that began a path of growth, development, self-awareness, deeper connection with God, deeper connection with self that ultimately just ushered me into a new future. That's wonderful. It, it really is. It's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Because you're offering hope. You you took a dark turn. You went down a very bad path. You physically hurt yourself for an external, I, I want to say dream, but for an external uh, locus that kind of became you. You let go of you for football. And in opening yourself up, and in your case, to Christ, to faith, to the process to bring you back is really how you found yourself. And that's possible for anyone, which yeah. is part of the reason I do this, because hope is what we all need. But we will be honest here, and it doesn't mean that every day is sunshine, does it? Not at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's explore that a little because it does not detract from your faith. It does not detract from your path mm -hmm. living, but it acknowledges that we are human. And we do fail, but you keep picking yourself up. And that's what's truly important. Yep. 100%. When you have a dark time, when you have a, a, a dark day, or what is it? What are the tools that you go to over and over to help you get through? That's a really good question, man. The process that I teach people is my care system. I said I had a system of success as an athlete. 
I knew how to wake up early. I knew how to stay up late. I knew how to receive constructive criticism. I knew how to work in the team. I knew how to have the mindset for success. I knew how to be resilient. I had a system of success, but I did not have a system of self-care. And so part of life and having greater levels of connection and productivity and personal growth is to have both systems of success and self-care. The ability to manage your time and get more done in less time, and then also the ability to make space for yourself to increase your internal bandwidth and overall your quality of emotion that you're feeling internally so that the reflection of that in your life is mirrored back to you. So CARE is a system I teach, and it's an acronym that stands for Conscious Awareness, Activities, Relationships, and Expression. Conscious Awareness, Activities, relationships and expression. And so for me, these are the things that I do. I work on my conscious awareness. A lot of the suicidal ideations are what? Ideations is a thought. Yeah. It's a thought form. It's a form of thought. Okay. It might be produced by a biological illness, but it's still a form of thought. And so there's some things we can do with the biology. I'll get to that when I get to relationships. But as it relates to the thought narrative, part of what helps me is to raise my conscious awareness. So can I become aware? So what are some things that I did? Number one, meditation to me, slow. Number one, speed of thought travels faster than the speed of light. Okay. Uh, the average person, I forget how it is, but we have tens of thousands of thoughts per day. I forget yeah. the number. I think it's like 70, 60 or 70,000. Yeah. 70,000 thoughts per day, which by the way, the majority of our majority of them are negative. Yeah. And we have these thoughts per day. And so meditation for me slows down the speed of thought so that I can consciously choose differently. And I'm not running on old programming, subconscious beliefs. Okay. And so when I breathe, part of what happens is I start to see all these thoughts and hear all these things come through my mind. And by breathing and being and observing these thoughts and not following the rabbit trails, I start to see my power to choose. When I was having suicide ideations, I didn't know I had power to choose. I just felt overwhelmed. I just pressed, felt depressed. I just felt discouraged. The thoughts were coming faster than I could handle them. As I started practicing meditation consistently, now I can more easily navigate and choose those thoughts because I'm used to seeing a bunch of thoughts and not having to follow the rabbit trails. Okay. It, similar to meditation, and it's a big part of meditation, but even outside of that practice of meditation, I practice breathing to bring my body out of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn and have greater awareness so that I can move forward. Okay. And that was something that I learned when I was part of the emergency uh, response team. And at, at the university, I worked in higher education for a couple of years. And if we ever had an active shooter on campus, they had the military come train us on how to deal with that. And one of the first things that they said be breathing deeply and you can't, your body cannot be in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, or else you will communicate and breed frenzy. You have to remain calm, even if there's an active shooter or multiple on campus. And so it taught me the power of breath. So that's conscious awareness. Okay. Uh, I'll pause there before I get to activities and say you got questions on that or thoughts even. Yeah. It's like you, I, I learned to meditate. Uh, I learned to do short mindful meditations as well. But the one thing, the most important thing that I learned many years ago was breathing and breathing techniques. Because yes, in order to slow your breathing, the rest of it cannot go at the speed it was going. The fight, the flight, all of that 
becomes almost in stasis while you're concentrating on your breath. Because it's an automatic action, the actual concept of taking your mind and concentrating on the breathing is something that is so foreign to us Mm -hmm. that it takes all we are to pull it in and pay attention. 100%. Which is what gives you that that space to yep. let go of all the other. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. So that's completely important. So that's conscious awareness. So activities for me is around doing things that I love. Okay. So many people work jobs that they hate, go home to a life that they don't like, and they're waiting for the weekend. And then in the weekend, they usually suppress with drugs and alcohol. That's how the typical person lives. <laughs> Okay. And so activities about doing things that make me joy. So even within my work day, so I used to, before I was an entrepreneur and I had to work for somebody else, um, I'm working at the university and I started to monitor, Hey, how much joy I literally, I took every activity that I did during my week. Somebody, you can just look at, uh, your day yesterday and you can say yesterday was the weekend. So you can, (laughs) you can look at one of your weekdays, a typical weekday for you. And then you can say, measure each activity that you did throughout that day on a scale of zero to 10. Zero being, I hated it. It was terrible. 10 being, it brought me the most joy. I want to do it forever. Okay. And just rank yourself. And then that'll tell you where you are. And then part of what I do is say, man, what can I do to move this five to a six or this six to an eight or this eight to a nine or this nine to a 10? What can I do to move the dial? Because believe it or not, just having a little bit more joy in your day, guess what it does? it breathes more joy for your day, (laughs) right? If I have a a meeting that went at seven instead of a usual five, I feel a little bit better after that meeting. And then the next thing I go into, uh, it it elevates the entire daily experience. And so it helps with mental health. It helps with productivity. It helps with stress. It helps with overwhelm when you start to do things you love. A lot of times people think that the way to deal with overwhelm and burnout is just to take more things off your plate. Sometimes that's true. Other times, it's just to change the the amount of joy in which you're experiencing with the things that are already on your plate. So you don't have to eliminate them. It's not about what you do. It's more about how you're doing it. Okay, so that's what activities is about for me. Another piece of that is physical exercise. Okay, making sure I move my body. Tons of science around it that helps. What I would tell people is find something that they can be consistent with and find something that works for them. Okay, former elite athlete, Daryl Stinson can out run half the people on the planet (laughs) okay but outside of being an elite athlete i'm having four kids gaining weight can't do it like i used to do it so i had to start with walking my dog for 15 minutes a day to 30 minutes a day and that was my exercise and the more consistent that i was at doing that the more i could start to add in other pieces so that's what the activity is about. I'll pause and see if you have questions or thoughts on that. Oh, that that was so good. And yeah, it's about wit, being where you're at and then taking that a little bit forward. Because something that I relearned lately is it's about small incremental changes consistently over time. That's how you manage to change bad habits, how you manage to instill good habits, how you manage to, as you say, increase your joy. And something that I found when you really start to dissect the pieces of your day, 
you may find that something you thought you hated is actually something that you enjoy. And injecting more joy in those things can be a real bonus. I'm a total Pollyanna. I'm always going to look for the good and stuff. I love it. And we got to look for the good and stuff. And that, that type of awareness and attention to the details of our life is what will help people. And again, for me, me, mental health conversation is not just about coping. It's also about moving from coping to creating, from stepping, from going from defeated to feeling dominant. Like it is, how do you make that shift? Right. I don't want to just get you to zero. We want to get you to plus 10. And that's the point, right? And a lot of times people think about mental health as I just want to feel better. And it's yeah, you want to feel better, but you want to be better. You want to do better. You want to perform better as well, not just feel better. There's value in that. There's times where I've listened to sermons online or motivational videos or podcasts like this one. And and, and just hearing content helped me to go, whoa, oh my gosh, there's hope. There's a reason for me to be here. Keep living, keep going, keep trucking. And that's necessary. If you need it, take it, please. But just move beyond feeling good. Move beyond feeling a little bit better and start to ask deeper questions about your life's purpose, about how you want to contribute in this world, about how you want to serve others, about the quality of life that you want to experience and do whatever it takes to make those tiny steps towards that direction. Okay. Even if it's just writing the vision, write it down. Okay. Reaching out to a person, reach out, sign up for the program, reach out to the coach because those things being in alignment with your purpose will bring you so much fulfillment that sometimes it'll help the the good days outweigh the bad tremendously. Okay. So that's activities. Okay. Next piece is relationships. For me, I look at two places, my relationship with myself and others and my relationship with food, my relationship with myself and others and my relationship with food. As it relates to my relationship with myself and others, I'll give you two things. Again, I teach this stuff, can talk a whole masterclass on it. But I'll give you two things. Relationship with self. I believe that all relationships with others is a reflection of my relationship with myself. So when I'm experiencing tension in a relationship, I don't get mad at the person typically. Only maybe if it's my wife. (laughs) I usually look in and I ask myself, What is it about me that is uh, producing or contributing to this scenario? It does not let other people off the hook. It just empowers me to do the things that there is for me to do. Okay. And by asking myself that question, I'm able to clean up some things, move through some things. A lot of times people will treat you to the degree in which you allow them to. And if I can clean up that internal mirror and um, hold a higher standard for myself, and uh, think higher of myself, then I can uh, have those conversations to clean up the relationships and make sure that I release tension and they're fulfilling relationships, okay? The other thing that I do is I do something called emotional accounting, okay? It's my original term. And what it is, is I, I put a vision to every relationship so that I know why these, when I say every relationship, I mean my close relationships. So I do, yeah, my, my key relationships, my coaches, my mentors, my key colleagues, the people, the quote, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. I got about 15. And so I want to manage and steward those really well. And it helps when I know, Hey, this relationship is in my life for this reason and this reason, so that I'm not putting too much on one relationship 
as a person who struggles with a lot of thoughts and often use my friends for counseling, I want to make sure that I'm not dumping too much on one relationship or right. the other. So my relationship with self and others, and then the second part of that is my relationship with food. Okay, man, food will change your mood. Okay, and just like most things in life, the things often the things that help you feel better in the short term are not what's best for you long term. Yeah, sugar tastes good until you got diabetes. Like burgers taste great till you have high blood pressure, and it's it's I try to put into my body things that are going to make me feel great, things that my body can actually process. For me, everybody's different, but for me. Uh, I, I choose a plant-based diet, okay? Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. It, it, what it does for the body, for the cells, for the chemistry in the brain, it's just, it's a huge difference maker. What you eat matters. But notice I put this underneath relationships because I am not a master in if you eat fruit, you, it, 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 it affects your blood levels this way. Like I can't break down the science of nutrition to you, but I can tell you, that if you listen to your body, I can tell you that if you pay attention to the relationship that you have for food, to me, it's a faster way to clean it up than to try to run the Atkins diet or something like that. Because so one of the exercise I tell everybody to engage in is the next meal that you eat takes 60 seconds to two minutes in between every single bite and notice the thoughts that come up. I did this exercise and I was like, ah, it's going to be easy. Number one, it was extremely challenging. I wanted to smash my food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the second thing that happened is I noticed how uncomfortable I was and how much I used the food to suppress the thoughts that were coming up, to get rid of the social anxiety that I was having. Yeah. And man, if I allowed myself to be more comfortable with what was coming up for me, I wouldn't have to use food to replace something that only comes from a deep connection with myself. And when I have that deeper connection and awareness, then it's, do I even want the food that I thought that I wanted? Most times it's not because we all say it, comfort food. What if you need, what if you had your own comfort and you didn't need to be comforted by food? How would that change your life? I think people owe it to themselves to figure it out. So that's relationships. I'll, I'll pause and let you chime in. That is really good. Okay. That is excellent because took a long time to get it for me but food is fuel yes food is what keeps your body going yes it is meant to sustain you so that you can do what you want to do it is not meant to comfort you it is not your mother or your father or your wife or your husband that's not the job of food and we all lose sight of that. And it's, it's almost it's sad that as children, when you fall down and hurt yourself, what's the first thing they do? They tell you to stop crying and they give you a cookie or a glass of milk or a popsicle or a whatever. Food has always been used as a reward or an, something to assuage feelings we don't want people to show mm -hmm. and the fact is we need to arm children and everyone in a way that they can feel their feelings process them 
and somewhat like the animals, let them go. Emotions are meant to flow and go. They're not meant to hang around. They're not meant to be fed. They don't have mouths, if you want to be really literal. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting that you talk about the relationship, because I think the relationship is important in understanding that this is the nourishment that will allow you to write more songs with your daughter, to go out and enjoy time with your wife. That food is there to nourish your body, to give you the strength and the, and the movement and the strong muscles to do what you need to do in a day. That's all it's for. 100%. Yes. Yes. So we talked about conscious awareness through meditation, through the breath. We talked about activities, monitoring uh, the level of joy that we have and a way that people can start to increase the amount of joy that they experience in their daily activities. We talked about our relationship with others through emotional accounting and looking through the mirror within ourselves, and also our relationship with food. And then the last piece is expression. Okay, and this came from uh, a quote that I found myself saying on stage a lot is that whatever you don't express, you suppress. So a lot of people think that when I have moments that happen in my day, like maybe somebody cut me off in traffic or maybe a group of coworkers went out to lunch and didn't invite me, or maybe I've had a, a little argument with my spouse or my significant other. I, if I just don't think about it and I just stay positive, if I keep a positive mind, I just keep going, then life will be better. Those things aren't worth crying over, giving attention to because who cares? Just move on. And we build a life where we don't express the emotions that actually come up for us and we suppress them. And there's so much research out there that talks about suppression and emotions being trapped in our cellular memory and et cetera, et cetera. What I found for me is that if I find myself being overwhelmed emotionally, a lot of times it's because I've had a level of suppression in my life. One of the reasons why I speak is to make sure that I'm constantly expressing. <laughs> okay. yes. That's one of the things I love about speaking all the time, but you can express through journaling. I encourage people to start with one or two activities. Number one, even start just taking inventory, doing a five-minute journaling exercise where you, at the end of your day, you journal about your top three emotions that you had that were positive maybe, and maybe your top three unhealthy emotions. And I don't even call them negative, sad emotions, whatever those were, okay? And just develop them and have awareness and then ask yourself, hey, where, why did these emotions come up? And just sit with them for a second and just start to develop an awareness. Just do that five minutes a day. Another a little bit more advanced tactic, um, especially if someone's been in an active journaling process, is I, I like to look at the emotional charges throughout my day. And then I ask myself a series of questions that go like this. A, what happened? Just describe it as is. I'm not interpreting it. I'm not assigning meaning to it. What happened? I went to the store. The person yelled at me. I yelled back at them. I left the store. I didn't buy anything. I slammed the door. I got in my car. I called my wife. That's what happened. The facts. The next part is, how did it make you feel? Well, it made me feel this way and this way. And sometimes early on, I had to use the emotion wheel to pick, to find other vocabulary. Because a lot of times our 
instinctual emotion, anger, frustration, sadness, is not actually the root emotion of feeling hurt, rejected, abandoned, whatever that may be. And emotional will help to give me vocabulary for my emotions. And I ask myself, what happened? How did it make me feel? Okay. And then I ask myself, what does that mean? And then I go through a series of, hey, that must mean this and this. And then here's my favorite part of this whole exercise. I ask myself, what else could that mean? And when I ask myself that what else question, I'm thinking through the lens of a mentor, through the lens of a counselor, through the lens of someone older or wiser, because it gives me the opportunity to view the same situation through a different lens. And that's where we're in a fun game. Okay. It's how to do, it's essentially cognitive behavioral therapy. Self-initiated is essentially the process that I just shared. So that's a way to express. Another way to express is through your gifts, through your talents. That's a level of expression. If you're not sharing your gifts and your talents with the world, you're suppressing and you wonder why you're depressed is because you're not contributing. Okay. To the level that you can, or the degree that you can, or with the variety that you can, or with the vastness that you can. So that's about expression is about giving those gifts to the world. And then just being all of who you are, not just some of who you are. Okay. If you have hobbies, if you have court, quirky, how do you say it? Quirky, quirky, <laughs> you have quirky personality traits. Let those things shine so that the world can see, be all of who you are, because I promise you by doing so, you would feel free, you'd feel expressed, you won't feel backed up and suppressed and overwhelmed emotionally, okay? And people always say, what if people don't like who I really am? And what if people make fun of me? What if people do these things? Here's what I tell people. Listen, you're talking to a person that literally changed his identity in order to be loved and accepted by other people. And here's what I found out, that I would rather be real and be rejected than to be fake and be accepted 100% of the time. Because if I'm real and I'm going to reject it, then at least I know that they rejected me for me. And then when I'm real and I'm accepted, I know that the people who accept me for who I actually am. So I'd rather be real and be rejected than be fake and be accepted. Because if I'm fake and I am, am, am accepted, I have to keep up that act for the duration of the relationship. And I don't want to have to do that. I did that too much in my previous life. That's expression. So That's excellent. That is excellent. Thank you. And one thing I want to add to that, if they don't accept the real you, then they're not meant for you. Move on. We are never going to be all things to all people. And that's okay. And that's the hardest lesson I ever had to learn. Because sometimes we... Everybody just wants to be liked. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And I have a good friend. Dave Rendell says, let your freak flag fly. (laughs) And he says that wearing pink. Lots and lots of pink. And that man is six foot six. I I think I love your care program. I think that's wonderful. And with your permission, I would like us to be able to put that right in the middle of the transcript so everybody knows exactly what it is that you suggest they do. I think that's a wonderful plan. 
part of the ongoing problem is that many of us don't take the time for self-care. Right. The old adage, put the oxygen mask on you first. Well, first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can honestly say for almost six decades, I thought that was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. Like, why would you not look after other people? And then <laughs> one day it was like, oh, duh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't look after them if you're unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes when you're so busy trying to serve, you don't put the time into you that's necessary for right. you to serve well. 100%. 100%. So I think that brings us more to the present. And you did mention you have four children. And I know your lovely wife. Uh-huh. So what is on the horizon for you? Oh, man, so much. Well, the future is extremely bright. I came to this point after my TEDx talk had so much success. And I was getting so many requests around the U.S. and some around the world that I kept saying, I want to change the world. I'm, I'm changing the world. I want to change the world. And I was making a lot of impact, helping a lot of people, impacting millions of people. And I realized that no matter how much I did, that I couldn't change the world by myself. And I know that sounds like, duh. But for me, I was so locked in that it wasn't a dumb. It was like, whoa, it was an enlightening moment. And so I was like, man, I have to empower other leaders who have stories that are different than mine, journeys that are different than mine, expertises that are different than mine, because I have a skill to help people not just share their story, but share their story in a way that grows their movement, grows their following, and helps them to make a bigger impact in the world. And so, man, a lot of that in the future for me, I host these open to the public transformational events every four to six weeks. So the next one's coming up in September, towards the end of September, uh, to be a firewalk in metro atlanta so excited to do that certified fire instructor with the same company that certified tony robbins so excellent i'm co-facilitating that with a master instructor who's been doing it since um, he was 14. so really excited about that we'll do some stuff from stage as well and then i'm hosting my own tedx event people are get excited about that Uh, writing my second book about vulnerable communication is something for people to look out for and then, of course, just speaking on new stages and impacting lives from stage, of course. That's what my life looks like. And, uh, man, I just think that I want our listeners to know, number one, when you implement systems of self-care in your life alongside of your system of success, man, you don't just two times your life, you 10 extra life. And so play that game, make sure you're doing that. There's a difference between knowing what to do and actually doing it. And I think in the information age, sometimes we think if I get people just sign up and get the free downloads, because oh, yeah. they, they think that information is transformation and it's not, it's just information. Yeah. Without consistent action and re- refinement, you won't actually achieve the results. So I would say, be honest with yourself in that and take the necessary steps. And then, of course, get out there and share your story. 
your story matters. Each and every one of us has a different journey. And you might not have gone through a suicidal attempt. You might not have ended up in a psychiatric ward. You might not have been a drug dealer before. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you've encountered something. You've learned lessons. You have experiences. You have perspective. You're always most powerfully positioned to help the former version of yourself. Oh, so yes. go out and do that. Oh, that, that was so well said. I absolutely love that. Thank you. I haven't done that yet. Oh, you would love it. You should definitely come out. <laughs> I'm a long way from Atlanta, but I'm not saying no. Oh, man. This event that I just had this week, I have people come from everywhere. <laughs> well, that is something we are going to have to talk about. We, we, we shall. We shall. Um, absolutely. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to share your story with us and enlighten us about your concept for self-care, which I think is critically important. And marrying it with success, I am all about integration because I think it's key to mm. living a full life. 100%. And you've just tied that up very neatly for me. And I think it's wonderful because you've taken the best there is from the athletic world and you're applying it in the day-to-day -day world, mm -hmm. which is something I think we need to do. We need to start taking the best from each of the professions, if you will. You have athletics, you have uh, theater and acting, you have the academics. If we take little bits from all these areas and integrate them into our day-to-day -day lives, then I think each and every human gets to elevate themselves just a little. 100%. And I think that's important. Yes, I do too. You'll find everything there is to know, all the social links, the link to not only Daryl's TEDx, but to the song, to his book, and anything else that we think is appropriate, we will make sure is on the page with his episode. I thank you so much for joining me today, Daryl. Daryl Stinson has been my guest today, and I look forward to, I think we're going to have Daryl back sometime in the future, <laughs> and oh. see where all of these processes are going, because I firmly believe you're going to have a lot more to teach us. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. I feel the same way about you. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. Wonderful. Well, as per usual, I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. I want you to make the very best of your today every day. And we will definitely see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Kroon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, 
Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.